There's a reason there's only one of me. I love you. I love you too. Oh, please be seated. Give it up for my wife, would you? I, I do not want to embarrass her, but man, I could not do what I do without her, and I am so grateful. We have been through a lot, and she has stuck by my side, and I'm grateful. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we open up your word, open up our hearts, Father, to receive the engrafted word of God and be changed by it, Father God. I pray that everybody here knows I'm talking to them. You didn't send me to talk to chairs, so thank you for us opening our hearts and minds to receive what God's saying to us, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. We're going to turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, but before we do, I just want to share with you, these verses were given for those who desire the office of a bishop, the office of pastoring in the church or leading the church. And lots of times when I hear this read by, by leaders in other conferences and so on and so forth, it's almost like this is the disqualification chapter. Instead of, this is what we're shooting for as leaders. This is what we're aiming for as pastors. And these are things that we want to do to be an example. You know, Paul said to others, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul made mistakes. Paul had issues just like the rest of us. But this is what he was aiming for. So my desire is that you would see, because this has to do with family as well. And I want to connect the dots because we're talking about family and you might not know this, but you are actually pastoring your family. And, and I know that's hard for some people to, to grasp, but just to let you off the hook a little bit, you should be at least leading your family. All right? So we're going to read the verses. I'm going to read from here. You can read from there. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. He had to tell them that because everybody who wanted this was dying for the faith at the time. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? He says, verse 6, not a novice, lest being puffed up, um, he, he would, uh, lest being puffed up, let me get there, uh, with pride, he would fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, that's of the church, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Go back and look at verse 4 and verse 5. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, the King James says, with all gravity. For a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Tonight we are going to answer three questions. Here's some of the questions we're going to answer. What does it mean to rule your own house well? Lots of people are ruling their house, but I love, he, just, he doesn't say don't just rule. He says he has to rule his house well. That says something to me. That speaks to me when I read that, because there are a lot of pastors who are ruling their house today, as it were, but they're not necessarily ruling it well. So I want to know what it means to rule my house well. Next question. 
What does it mean to have your children in subjection with all gravity? Doesn't that sound like burdensome? Doesn't that sound like weighty to have your children in subjection? And the weight with all gravity. (laughs) Next question. What does ruling my own family well have to do with my church family? We're going to answer those questions tonight. Because those things speak to me when I read these verses. And I'm going to show you that as the family of God... We are connected to our natural family and our spiritual family, and God sees them as one. And it's really important that we understand the connection. So let's answer the first question. What does it mean to rule your own house well? Number one, it means you start your service to God in your home. Too many people wanting to run off and do a mission trip somewhere and be used by God, but they're not being used in their own home, and they don't see the mission field is right there in front of them. (laughs) Thank you for your thunderous applause. I get it. (laughs) Women praying, Father, use me. Little baby, Mommy, Mommy. Father, use me. Mommy, Mommy. Father, please use me. Mommy, Mommy. Would you please be quiet so God could use me? (laughs) We miss ministry on the way to ministry. And I'm going to show you that it's really important what we learn within our family home and structure. So ruling our own house well means we start there. I know lots of men who go to work and talk a big game, but if they were to talk to their wife and their kids, it's all a big show. Yeah. See, let me just set the stage here. I'm put on this earth to do one thing really well, and that's talk. I'm really good at it. But in that talking, I'm meant to do three things. Challenge, change, and cheer. I want to challenge your thinking. I want to challenge the status quo. I want to believe God for positive change, and I want to be your cheerleader in your background going, you can do this. Because all of us need people to support us in our time of need. I want to do that. So if, you, if you're challenged tonight, it's on purpose. And a lot of men go to work and they play a big game and they go to work because it's easier to go to work than it is to face their wife that they're having a disagreement with. So what it means to rule my own house well is that I start there hearing from God. I start there listening to the Holy Spirit on how to minister to people. Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but the people in your home are just like the people in your church. They're human. And they all have issues. And you think your family's crazy, but... (laughs) Write this down in your notes. You are somebody's crazy. (laughs) You might not know that, but you are somebody's crazy. And so to rule my own house well means I start in my own home. Notice verse 5. Because he gives the qualification. He actually defines what it means to rule well. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house well, how will he take care of the church of God? So what it means to rule your house well is that you take care of those that God has placed in your care. You meet the needs that they have. And that involves a lot of stuff because your children need a lot of things. But what they need most is love. 
But in our society, we have such a warped definition of love, we have to go back to the scriptures to know how to love our children well. Because we love all kinds of stuff. And we use the word so flippantly. We love our truck. We love our dog. We love apple pie. But we shoot the dog, sell the truck, decide we like pumpkin pie. So when we tell our wife we love her, it's no wonder she wonders what what that means. We take care of. What does it mean to take care of? It means to love them well. Now, I don't have time to go into all of it, but love has four aspects. One of those aspects, love protects. Your children need you to protect them in prayer. They need you to protect them from their own choices sometimes because they don't know what dangers lie out there. They really do not. They need you to say, don't go there. They don't understand why they can't play in the road. It's flat. They can slide really far. They can play really fa- they don't. They don't know the danger. So part of love and taking care of people is, is to protect them. And one of the things a good shepherd does is he protects. It's a part of his role. So we need to protect our children. We need to provide. Taking care of someone means you provide for them. And let me just say this for, for the men. Your wife needs more than your paycheck. That's called alimony. <laughs> your wife needs more than that. She needs you to be a man. Your children, I know you don't believe this, and they might not act like it, but they actually want more than your money. Your children need you. What you provide for your home, your wife cannot provide. Just like the wife can't provide what you bring, you can't provide what she brings either. So we need both parties to do their thing so the house can be right. It, it, it stuns me in this world we live in that we have these movements where we're all about the women and all about the men. And I just want to ask, well, who's more important? Because <laughs> if you have that argument, you're going to make a lot of women mad. And if you say women are more important, you can make a whole lot, lot of men mad. And rightfully so, they're both right. So, so loving our children means we provide for them our presence. Now, my children, my son, wanted a man to wrestle with. He didn't want to wrestle with Ginger. He could whoop her. That ain't no fun. A man wants to test his strength against another man. And I've had lots of boys over my house that don't have any fathers in the home. And one of the first things they want to do is wrestle. And we were willing to do that till I got injured. <laughs> so, so we provide. To take care of means you, you provide. To take care of means you correct. This is lost in our culture. Nobody wants to be corrected about anything, but they want to correct everybody else. Love corrects. It is not love to let somebody go somewhere that you know is dangerous for them and not say anything. Love corrects. Whom the Lord loveth, he chastens, he corrects. So a part of love and a part of taking care of people is to love them enough to correct in love. 
to say that's really not beneficial to you. That's really not what you want. That's really not the way to get there. So that's what caring for someone really does. It corrects. And lastly, love forgives. And we need to know how to forgive. A lot of people can tell you to forgive, but we need to know how. And we need to know that forgiveness is a choice. And that when you forgive in action, your feelings line up in time. We keep thinking when I feel like forgiving, I'll forgive. But that's not how this works. The kingdom of God is set up exactly opposite of that. You do the right thing and your feelings catch up. I can't tell you how many times, and this is going to blow your mind because I'm a pastor, but I can't tell you how many times I haven't wanted to come to church. Y'all are here. No, no, that's not it. That's not it. I'm tired, or I want to go fishing, or I want to go hunting or something, I just whatever it might be. But I come because I know I need it. And I come, and it's like, it's like Dwayne or Zach was in my living room. And I'm like, dude, you, you could have sent everybody home. You know where my office is. If you wanted to correct me, you could have just said, leave. We need to talk about this. But no, 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 he does it in front of all y'all. Right? But I'm going to tell you something. I've had the Lord speak to me in so many messages when I didn't want to come, and I walked away so glad that I came because God gave me that piece of information that I needed. Amen? Go ahead. So I walk away going, wow, that was great. That was awesome. My feelings caught up with me doing the right thing. I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because some of y'all need this. I never like buying flowers. Never. I buy flowers and I think to myself, there goes a fishing lure right out the window. <laughs> there goes a box of shells right out the door. And then things are going to die. And then it's, I never like buying flowers. But I buy flowers because it's the right thing. And when I bring them home and my wife gets that look on her face like, wow, he loves me. I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> my feelings catch up, right? So what it means to rule my house well is to take care of those that God has put in my care. What does it mean to have your children in subjection with all gravity? Every time I have heard this, it comes across like if you're in leadership, if you're a Christian doing this thing right, man, your kids got to know the entire Bible, be able to quote it front to back, they need to jump when you say jump and ask how high on the way up. They never need to disobey you. They never need to argue with you. They could never be in rebellion to you. But can I say to you, if that's the case, God doesn't even qualify. Oh, I'm going to let that set in. Are, are we God's children? Do we always obey when he says go do a thing? Do we always go, yes, Lord, and ask how high on the way up? Or do we kind of murmur and complain, Lord, you know I don't really want to do that. They don't deserve it. What do you mean you want me to give them money? I worked hard for that money. Blah, 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 blah. I know none of y'all ever do that. I know God speaks to you to go, yay, Lord, here, servant, hears and obeys. I'm on my way. I have found out that part of the problem with God meeting my needs is you. And part of the problem with God meeting your needs is me. Because I've been in church when God told me to give somebody something, and I was like, 
I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> I know you've never done that. But I remember in church, a man came in, and he was wearing a very, very expensive suit. And I'm preaching, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you give that guy, and he told me the amount of money. And I'm like, that's a lot of money. That guy's got a suit. I'll never even own a suit like that. And the Lord said, you give him that much money. I said, Lord, I don't want to give him that money. I worked hard for that money. And the Lord said, you need to give him that money. So I gave him the money. Found out the guy was homeless. And it actually got the suit at one of those thrift places where you go in and, you know, get stuff like that. Somebody had given him the suit and just gave it to there. And he ended up with it. He didn't have any money, didn't have any place to stay, didn't have any food. But the Lord knew. And so it clicked. I realized part of the problem with God wanting to meet people's needs is us not willing to obey, us arguing. So if, if this means having our children in subjection with all gravity means they've got to do everything we say, every time we say it, the way we say it, and never argue, God doesn't even qualify. So it, you have to look, what does it really mean then? What it really means is that your children learn to obey and respect you in such a way that you're worthy of respect. Now think about that for a second. It means that your children learn to obey and respect you, and you've brought that about in such a way that you are worthy of respect. You know, the army can make you do some things, but it's not necessarily worthy of respect. They can just make you do it. Or they can make you sure wish you had. You can live in a home where a, a father is very abusive. And he can make you obey, but it's not worthy of being repeated. When, when you think about this, you need to think about how God responds to you. And that's how you respond to your children. Because I don't know about you, but my children were real children. And, and they had some of the most demonic fits on the way to church. I know you kids never do that. Never. And my children had the tendency to say the most ungodly things at the most holy moment. And I would try to say, turn left. And they would go right. And then look at me like, I went right. In front of people who are supposed to be following me. But do we not do the same thing to God? Are people not watching us? And, and we know that we're supposed to do a thing. And they know we're supposed to do a thing. And then we don't do it. So how does God respond in that? Do you know God lovingly corrects? And God works within your decision to try to help you get where you should have gone in the first place. Do you ever see the, the uh, Sunday commercials, the cartoons, uh, where it's like the, the kids, it's like the Dennis the Menace, and it shows him running out the door, and he runs out the door, and he jumps over the fence, and he climbs the tree, and he runs over to the neighbor's house, and he goes to their tree house, and then he was supposed to go get the ball, and the ball's like three foot from the door, but he went like three miles Finally ends up back at the door and he still hasn't picked up the ball. And dad has to say to him again, pick up the ball. 
That's what it is to rule your house well and to have your children in subjection. It means you work within their choices to help them get where they need to go. Yeah, I, I know that's kind of simplistic, but try it. Because our natural response is to want to just whoop. Bang, bang, bang. And sometimes that's necessary. But most of the time, what we have to realize is we do a lot of that because it made us look bad. It's really about pride. It's not really what's right for the child. So it means we help our children learn to obey and respect. Honor your father and mother. They need to learn respect. They need to learn how to honor. I know lots of people who feared their father, but they didn't respect him. And there's a grand difference. You can make your kids do some things and they will fear your wrath, but you'll never have their respect. Respect becomes because you know that person has your best interest at heart. And correction comes because they love you, not because they're trying to be better than you or trying to rule over you in a dictative way. They try to help you see the choices that you're making and why it's not beneficial to you. And I love realizing that the way this has been preached by most people, God didn't even qualify. Because then it made me go back and look at, well, how does God respond to our choices? Well, he may send you to whale seminar. He may. I don't know if you know what whale seminary is, but it's where he tells you to go one place and you decide to go someplace else and you end up three days in the belly of a whale. Now, thank God you came out the right end. Can I say that in church? I just did. Want me to say it again? No, never It amazes me how stubborn we are as humans. Three days in the belly of a whale? Three days? This wasn't the Hilton. Pharaoh. Pharaoh has frogs as a plague everywhere. There are frogs everywhere you step, everywhere you go. Your kitchen is filled with them. Your living room is filled with them. Your bedroom is filled with them. Your closets are filled with them. He tells Moses, come. So Moses comes. He says, get rid of these frogs. Moses says, when? You know what he said? Tomorrow. One more night with the frogs. We are so stubborn. And then we... Act like our kids are different than us. I said this lots of times, but I'm going to ask you, what's the difference between stubborn and tenacious? Write it down. Spelling. (laughs) The real difference between being stubborn and tenacious is whether you agree with the decision or not. That's the only real difference. That same stubbornness that you have in your children is the same stubbornness Paul had. But when he came to Christ, that stubbornness caused him to be a man of God like no other. We've got to keep those things in mind. That's what real love does. That's what it means to have your children in subjection with all gravity. 
In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says about God and working with us in our decisions that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, not his severity. It's his, it's his goodness. And the Bible says how God chastens us, whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. Always make sure love is the deciding factor, and then you'll be okay. Right? Not pride, not ego. Love. Next question. What does ruling my own house well have to do with my church family? I spent all that time trying to get to here. I love this. As goes the family, so goes the church. And as goes the church, so goes the nation. We have a great church, but you know why? We have great families. It is so important that we see that God uses our home. Let me say it this way. Your home is a boot camp for ministry. Everything you will face at home, you will face in the ministry. Oh, oh no, pastor, you don't get it. My children are, are, are so crazy. They're so filled with energy, and, and they, they're, they're stubborn, and they're so... And you're not. Everything in your home that you face as the leader, as a pastor, shepherd, father, mother, in your home, you will face in the church. Because all adults are is young people in a bigger body. Go ahead, give it up. You know I'm right. In God's mind, there's only one family in two places. In God's mind, there's only one family in two places. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, he says, The whole family in heaven and in earth. In God's mind, there's one family. Those that are here on the earth and those that are in heaven. And I, I love this because the Lord showed me this years back, and I want to just take a little side trail if I could to show you something. That is so much so in the mind of God, I want you to take a look at the life of Job. Write these scriptures down. I'm just going to tell you the story. Job chapter 1, verse 2. Job chapter 40, 42, verse 10. And Job 42, verse 13. In Job 1, 2, it says that Job had seven children, or seven boys, and three girls. And then all of that was taken away. You remember the story. He lost all of his children. He lost his homes. He lost his way of living. He lost all that stuff. In verse 10 of chapter 42, it says that God gave him back double everything he had lost. You remember that? He gave him back double. But then it says in verse Job 42, 13, that he had seven boys and three girls. So if we were thinking... He had double in our mind. Well, then he should have had 14 boys and six girls if he was going to have double. Am I making sense? But I'm telling you in the heart of God, he did. Because those children are still a part of his family. They're just in a different location. So he had, go ahead, come on. He had seven boys on earth, seven boys in heaven, three girls on earth, three girls in heaven. I've got some family in heaven. 
And I've got some family here. But as far as God is concerned, it's all family. And I'm so excited to learn that the stuff that I went through with my kids has a purpose. It helps me deal with y'all. And that's, that, that's good. That's really good. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, we learn about authority. And Paul says, the authority that I have that God gave me was not for your destruction, but for your edification. So we're supposed to learn at home that the authority we have is not to dictate. It is not to be the punisher. It is to be the one who edifies and who builds up and who calls our children to be what's on the inside of them. See, a a good leader helps people see their potential. A good leader helps them see what they can't see that's on the inside of them. There's a great book by Ken Blanchard called Whale Done, W-H-A-L-E, like the whale. It has the picture of Shamu on the front of it. And the book is filled with so many good analogies and so many stories. Of, it's actually about people, but he's talking about Shamu the whale. And he has this idea of how do you get a whale to jump through a hoop? Because you don't speak whale. And he doesn't speak English or Spanish or Japanese. And he's a killer whale. You can't shock him. You'd be half the man you used to be. It's a beautiful story of how they spend as much as two to three years teaching that whale, you can trust me. That's all they do. Feed it and let that whale know, you can trust me. But the amazing thing about Shamu is that he jumps through hoops, he rings bells, he does all these things, but every whale in the ocean has the potential to do that, but it takes a coach It takes a leader to pull out of them what's already in them. That's why God gave you authority. To pull out of the inside of your child what's on the inside that they don't know is there yet. See the natural bents and ideas. So you learn about authority, or you're supposed to learn about the use of authority in your home. But right alongside of that is about submission. You learn submission in your home. And that means men. Ephesians 5 starts out, before it says, wives submit, it says we're supposed to submit one to another. You know, the smartest thing you could do is listen to your spouse. She's not the Holy Ghost, but she's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give the men a chance to clap here in a second. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> here, here's... Here's what I want you to think about. I, I want to challenge something here. Most women think they're in submission when really they're just in agreement. I was in submission when he bought the van. No, you weren't. You were in agreement. You were in submission when you let him buy the motorcycle. Submission is not submission until you actually disagree. Otherwise, it's just agreement. We're supposed to learn submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord in our home. 
My children have seen me listen to my wife and go, that's right, that's the right decision. They have seen her listen to me and say, that's right, that's the right decision. We're supposed to learn these things in our home. And I'm going to tell you, everything you face at home, you will face in the church, in ministry. Teamwork. You learn how to build teams in your home. You, you help your children learn how you might not can do the laundry, but you can help fold. You might not be able to fold, but you can help put in the dirty hamper. We're a team. We learn how to work as a team. Yeah, but, but my children don't want to do that. Welcome to the ministry. <laughs> See point number two about submission. But, the, you know, you just don't get it, Pastor. I have young people. No, I get it. Some of you may be 50 years old, but in the spirit realm, you're still teenagers. I mean, I'm preaching to you right now, and I'm out there, and some of you in the spirit realm are like, go ahead and make my day. If you had a hood, you'd have a hood in the spirit realm. You got that hood up, and you're sucking under your chair. Pastor, you just, you just don't get it. No, I get it. You learn how to deal with crucial conversations in home. That's called marriage, by the way. You learn crucial conversations in talking with your young person because they got all their ducks in a row and you just know they're headed for disaster and you have to have a crucial conversation. You learn, you're going to love this. I'm winding out of time, so I'm glad. You learn forgiveness at home. Because no matter how much you love one another, you're going to end up hurting that other person. You're going to say something that you didn't mean to say or it didn't mean to be taken the way it was taken. And you're going to have to learn how to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And you need to learn how to sow it quickly. Because the truth of the matter is, that's the way you want it back. I mean, if you, if you wait three days before you forgive somebody and then you mess up, why would you expect them to forgive you right away? We're, we're sowing to our future. God says there's just one family in two places, in heaven and in earth. And your home is a boot camp for ministry. It connects the church to your home in a way that you cannot, we're tethered to one another. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to be vulnerable to you. The same flaws I have in my personal life at home are the same flaws that show up at ministry that I need adjustments in, and I need correction in, and I learn and grow from. In my home, I am not an administrator. My wife is so detail-oriented, it's, it's almost demonic. <laughs> almost demonic. I mean, we can't go anywhere without an order of service. <laughs> I mean, she wants to know when we're going, when we're coming back, what we got to pack, are we going? Is there clean bathrooms between here and there? And on and on and on. Forget it, I don't even want to go now. <laughs> we're just going to go get a burger or something. It's like, well, all this detail. But that's God's gift to me because I'm not an administrator. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about other things. I don't have the details. I don't worry about the details. I'm a visionary. I'm trying to help change the world. 
And so I need the support of people who can see the... She's always saying to me, well, what about... I don't don't know. It's just going to happen. It's a God thing. I mean, we're just going to trust God. No, you have to take enough money. Just saying. So my weaknesses within my home are also my weaknesses in the ministry. And what I've had to do is the same thing in my home as I've had to delegate it to people who are better at those things than I am. So if you think being in the ministry is different and the glory train is being in leadership, you need to go back to being mom and dad and realizing it's the best job on the planet. It's also the worst job on the planet. Yeah, but I want to be where you're at, where the people just love you. No, I've had some of y'all do just like my kids. I want to go live with grandma. I'm like, I'll help you pack your bags, son. No, you have to realize the, the little children grow up and they still have the same issues. They're humans. They don't change once they get in church. We're still selfish. We're still self-centered. We still don't know how to share. Mine, mine. I get the red mic. Mine, mine. I got Mr. Paddle. We'll see who gets the red mic. We're family. And just like family, we, we have members we have to deal with. We have some family we love coming to the family reunions with. We have other family members, not so much. But guess what? They're family. And I know your thought is, well, they're just so crazy. Write it down on your notes. Write it on your refrigerator. You are someone's crazy. So, so mercy. Because I know you think you got your ducks in a row. I'm just the one to come along and tell you God gave you chickens. (laughs) And somebody's got to tell you. Amen. Amen, I'm done. I don't know what we do anymore at the end. Zach's always got this. Let's stand. Is it okay if I just pray and dismiss him? If you need prayer for anything, the prayer team is here, the prophetic team is here. If you need anything, we do not want you to leave with your needs unmet. We want to agree with you and stand with you in prayer. And, and I pray that it, tonight's message did not come out too hard I'm trying to be encouraging, and I want you to know this is a hard job, but it's no harder than being a parent, and the rewards are just as fulfilling. And so we want to pray and agree with you. And let me just dismiss you in prayer. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, for everyone that is here tonight, Lord God. They took the time, the most valuable thing they had, and they gave it to us. I hope we honored that by a message that changed lives, challenged their thinking, and that they feel encouraged tonight, cheered on to stay the course. 
Thank you, Father God, that the leaders that are here, that we would remember this is the toughest job on the planet, but it's also one of the most rewarding jobs on the planet. And you've called us, Lord God, to rule our house well. Help us to do that, Father God. Continue to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us that we might not just be rulers, but we might be rulers that rule well. Father, I thank you for everybody that's here. I pray a special blessing on them. Thank you for keeping them safe. We praise you for it in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You are free to go change your world.